Um, yeah, thanks, Rox. Um, so yeah, as Rox said, I'm Scott Weathers. I work for the US Office of Compassion and World Farming. Um, and I'm going to talk about when will farmed animals experience more happiness than suffering. Um, and just to give you a little bit of context on this presentation, you know, I was speaking uh, to Amy Labins earlier about sort of what different top topic ideas I could give and what things I could present about. Um, and I presented about four or five ideas to her. And uh, I, I presented this one. And she said, ooh, I like that one. That's a spicy topic. And in my head, I thought, wow, that is literally the hardest talk I could possibly give. Um, and so as payback, you know, I, I turned in my slides about an hour ago. So uh, I hope you're OK with that, Amy. <laughs> um, so I, I want to take a really serious and hard-headed look at this and start with some cute animal videos or vi photos. Um, and I think, you know, <laughs> Um, and I think the interesting part of this presentation is that that's really what it's supposed to be about, is I really want to focus on you know, the, the joy of, of animals and, and uh, that being an important component of their experience. Um, but since this is the last cute animal photo, uh, it's going to be mostly downhill from here. Um, so a little bit of context, you know, I work for Compassion and World Farming, and I run the Friendly Food Alliance, which is focused on reducing the number of animals in companies' supply chains. And one strategy that we use to achieve that end is to uh, offer more, convince them to offer more plant-based options. And there are a lot of other strategies we use. So for example, we, we try to convince companies to offer more blended products that have you know, a certain percentage of animal protein and, and a, another percentage of uh, plant-based protein, or other things like reducing food waste or, or other things. Um, and after we work with them for a year on these strategies, we plan to uh, award companies that are willing to commit to actual reduction targets in the number of animals that are in their supply chain. So that's just a little bit of context on the work that I'm doing. Um, and one of the central arguments that I'm going to engage with today is called the logic of the larder. And this is an argument that was propagated by Robin Hansen in, in 2002. Um, so he says in, in rough terms that it's better to live and be slaughtered than to not live at all. And that's the central argument that I'm going to dispute here. Um, if you didn't know, you know it, it, I had to research this and find out what it actually meant. Larder is just a word for an old word for a cool place that you store food. Um, and so in, in 2006, Matheny and Chan presented six conditions that they thought were necessary for the logic of the larder to be true. And so I, I wanted to sort of review those and, and, and what, I, you know, how, what the implications that I think they have for the logic of the larder. So the first uh, condition is that life could be beneficial. And this is a pretty philosophical argument, but it basically gets into the idea that non-existence can't be compared with existence. And so, yeah, I'm not going to go too deep into that one, but I think it's an important one to consider. And, and Matheny and Chan say that that uh, invalidates the logic of the larder. The second uh, condition, and I think the most important one, at least for the purposes of this talk, is that life is, is, life is worth living. And I'm going to argue that life on factory farms, at least for most of the animals under consideration, is, is not worth living. The third criteria is that existence would not happen without consumption of an animal product. So the reason that farm animals exist is that we're raising them for food. Um, the fourth condition is just that animals would be replaced after their slaughter. And you know, Compassion by the Pound, this is a book written by two agricultural economists, they address this argument pretty thoroughly and, and do conclude that you know, when you purchase an animal product, that does cause the future creation of uh, another, another sentient being. Um, the fourth condition is a little complex. And they basically, Matheny and Chan, in, in this argument, they take the view that wild animals uh, do have net positive lives, specifically focusing on mammals and birds. And so they say that the rearing, it, it, this condition holds if uh, the rearing of, an anim, of a factory farmed animal does not prevent a greater number of animals from existing with, uh, with net positive lives from existing. So if you thought that you know, birds and mammals did have net positive lives, uh, then eating, let's say, at least eating an animal product that causes the destruction of habitats uh, would, would not make this condition hold. Um, 
And then the last condition uh, is just that the purchase of, of a, an animal product doesn't produce greater moral value than other uses of money. So, for example, they argue that you know, even if you're an om omnivore, it might be better for you to eat uh, uh, like chickpeas or really cheap sources of plant-based proteins and then raise you know, hundreds and hundreds of mice. And that would be an, an easier, a more cost-effective way to create utility than by eating meat. So that's, that's their argument there. Um, and so I want to get into what farmed animal quality of life is like today. And one, one thing that I want to clarify is that you know, quantification, I think, is going to be a really important aspect here. And while a lot of people might rightfully object that we can't 100% precisely estimate quality of life on factory farms, you know, using quantitative estimates is a really important tool here. It, it allows us to continuously update our assumptions and, uh, and explicitly debate those assumptions and then uh, refine our model as we incorporate new, uh, new forms of evidence. Um, so I think that quantitative tools here have a really important role to play. Um, and when we look at, for all, you know, for all intents and purposes, I think this, this might actually be the most important slide. When, if you're a consequentialist, land uh, animal welfare is essentially the welfare of broiler chickens and layer hens. You know, the vast majority of animals that are being raised on factory farms are chickens. And so when we're talking about farm animal welfare and we're, when we're talking about the logic of the larder, this is the thing we need to pay attention to. That, this is where we need to focus the vast majority of our attention. And you know, probably most of the people in this room are aware of a lot of this stuff. But just to give a quick description, you know, these are broiler chickens being raised for meat on the left. Um, and the conditions that they experience, you know, one factor that I think really de determines a lot of their quality of life is their, their poor genetics. So they're, they're selected for, for breeds of chickens that, are, that grow extremely quickly. And as a result of that quick rate, rate of growth, you know, they, uh, they have bones that break very quickly. They, um, uh, they, they have heart and, and lung ailments. Um, you know, they're, they're very not designed to, to exercise very much, so they sit around most of the time, and, and they, uh, you know, they wear off their feathers on the bottom of their bodies as well as uh, suffer infections. Um, and, and they're killed after about 45 days. So that's the quality of life for broiler, broilers. Um, layer hens over here, you know, caged layer hens obviously live the vast majority, live their entire lives in cages. Um, and this obviously causes extreme welfare complications. So you, know, you see their feathers are worn off because uh, the hens there are, are pecking each other. Um, they have very brittle bones. Um, and so they suffer, obviously, from a lot of welf welfare complications as well. So the basic reason that I'm re sort of rejecting the logic of the larder here is just that when you look at chicken quality of life, you know, layer hens and, and broilers, uh, their quality of life is very, very poor and certainly net negative. Um, and I'm going to go through one proposal for evaluating farm animal welfare that, that strikes me as promising. Um, and I want to say that you know, compassion world farming uh, can't endorse uh, this, this methodology. It's a very new one, and, and the final results of it haven't been published. Um, uh, and, and our technical team hasn't been able to evaluate it yet. Uh, but I do think it's an interesting proposal. And, and uh, once the answers are released, I think it will provide answers in a format uh, that is useful for evaluating this question of whether farm animal lives are negative or, or, negative or positive. Um, so what they do, this is Sarah and Savoy. Uh, this year, they published a post on the EA forum. Uh, they proposed an index that uses reviewer-assessed animal reports. So basically, they, make, they, they uh, create descriptions of farm animal and wild animal uh, quality of life uh, with objective facts and, and other things. Um, and they ask reviewers to assess uh, their, 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 their quality of life according to those descriptions. Um, and they use a lot of different factors. So they look at you know, the death rate of different animals as well as the reason that those animals are dying. Um, they look at uh, human preference from behind the veil of ignorance. So this is just saying, you know, given a set of facts about what an animal's quality of life is like, would you, uh, like, would you prefer to be in that state or not? Um, and then as well as a bunch of other factors. And so 
this is what it might end up looking like. These are not the final results again, but you know, you might, they might conclude that a developed world human lives a pretty strongly net positive life, a caged hen has a fairly net negative life, and then a wild insect has a, a, a fairly, yeah, fairly net negative life. So th these are examples of what it might conclude, but the, again, the results haven't been published. And so I think there are a lot of trade-offs of this approach. Um, I think one of the really major pros of this approach is that it really clearly de demarcates where an animal's life is net positive or net negative. And it does that by using a negative 100 to 100 scale. And that's something that's fairly new in, in farm animal welfare and, and uh, measurement of farm animal welfare. Um, it also measures wild and farmed animal species, which is, to my knowledge is the first index to try to do that. Um, and it has very clear criteria with adjustable weighting. So if you wanted to say, you know, I care about uh, the pain of death twice as much as any other factor, you can adjust the weighting of those factors according to, to, the, to that belief of yours. Um, however, I do think this approach excludes a lot of ethical views. So certainly if you're a non-consequentialist, it would be pretty difficult to, uh, to agree with, with sort of this approach. Um, but even within consequentialism, there may be uh, folks that, that don't agree with it entirely. Um, I also think this approach by Sarek and Savoy does rely on anthropomorphization. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think there are actually trade-offs to this approach. And it's, it's also, this is a critique that is sort of uh, applies to any attempt to estimate farm animal welfare. Um, but I think it is a, a, something to be aware of nonetheless. Um, a couple more pros and cons. You know, I think I really like that the system maximizes use of objective data. It tries to look at uh, you know, uh, mortality statistics and other object forms of obje objective data. data while permitting certain subjective judgments. So uh, clearly, you know, if we're trying to assess farm animal welfare, it, it's not as simple as plugging in a bunch of numbers and then looking at what the eventual answer is. You really have to make subject, subjective calls here, and, that's what they, and they do that transparently. Um, they also have a scoring system that really maximize, maximizes the reliability of, of raters. So um, you know, they, they provide a very clear uh, criteria for you know, if you feel, if you would like to be in this state of an animal, you know, put this number, put a number in this range. And so it, it maximizes the, abil the ability of reviewers to clearly indicate their preferences. Um, I also think that having an independent reviewer structure really improves the generalizability of their results. Um, so they, they allow reviewers to, to look at, to read the animal reports without necessarily looking at the, the final conclusions, which helps a lot. Um, some critiques, you know, I think the, so for each of the criteria for what feeds into sort of the eventual score of farm animal welfare or animal welfare, um, they have sub-criteria that determine uh, that, that criteria. Um, and I think that, that weighting is not necessarily empirically derived. You know, this gets back to sort of the subjective judgment thing. Um, but I think there, there are likely to be issues that some people take with the, with the weighting that they've used. Um, and then I think that using a consistent standard across species might neglect important uh, species differences. So, you know, a chicken is not going to think that the same things are important to its welfare as, say, a dolphin or another animal. Um, and then lastly, just a practical consideration, I think that this approach requ requires a lot of accurate data. And that's just difficult to get in a lot of cases. So what does this imply for meat reduction? You know, uh, Carl Schulman in 2013 argued that meat consumption might actually reduce wild animal suffering by displacing uh, wild animal habitats. And so if you take the view of wild animal suffering that Oscar Horta presented earlier today, uh, that, that wild animals do suffer, um, you, know, you, you might buy this argument. Um, the, I think the assumptions about, that you make about invertebrate sentience here matter a lot, and so we really need to be careful about that. Um, but I think this is you know, an important uh, uh, consideration to make. Um, compassion world farming, you know, can't nece doesn't necessarily line up with this exact view, but I, I want to present the implications that, uh, uh, that 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 our work on terms of meat reduction might imply for wild animal suffering. Um, 
And so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to present the research here on the direct impact that focusing on, on uh, chicken or eggs will make, but, you know, others have argued elsewhere that prioritizing uh, chicken and eggs is likely to yield the greatest improvement for farm animal welfare, basically because those animals are very tiny, and so you, you, know, you get a lot, more, a lot less meat from them than you would, say, a cow or, or another big, a bigger animal. Um, so in terms of direct impact, it's, it's very clear that focusing on chicken and eggs is, is the, the best prioritization. However, I'm, I'm going to show here a table that I think demonstrates that even from a wild animal suffering standpoint, if you take that, the view that wild animal suffering is, is, a, is, is a serious problem, that that might even be wise. Um, so this is a paper from, or a table, table from the Matheny and Chan paper that I presented earlier. Um, and again, they take the view in this paper that, uh, th that lots of wild animal lives are net positive. So in this calculation, they're just looking at mammals and birds that they think experience net positive lives. So, um, so over here, you know, we have farm animal life years gained per 20 kilograms of protein. So obviously, you know, as I said, this demonstrates that chicken and eggs uh, have the largest uh, uh, consequences on, on farm animal welfare. Um, and then in the third column, we, it shows wild animal life years lost per 20, 20 kilograms of protein. And so as you can see, you know, 20 kilograms of chicken or eggs have a pretty minimal impact on, on wild animal suffering. Um, and other, uh, other animal products have a much greater impact. And so you, know, you can see here when you focus on the net impact that focusing on chicken and eggs is, when you take wild animal suffering into account, uh, is likely uh, to yield the strongest positive impact. So the, the really taking the view in conclusion here, like, you know, taking the Oscar Horta and Brian Tomasic view of wild animal suffering, uh, you might still prioritize chicken or eggs in, in terms of meat reduction. And that's what uh, most farm and welfare organizations are doing right now. So yeah, the implications that this has for sort of the work that we're doing at Compassion and World Farming, you know, the first implication is I think what I just said, that if we really focus on chickens, uh, layer hens, and as, as, well, as well as fish, potentially, that that is likely to yield the highest direct impact as well as uh, the, the greatest impact, or that minimizes the chances of having a negative impact on wild animal suffering. Um, I think we do have a lot of uncertainty about the impact on all animal products, but that uncertainty is likely to be highest for, uh, for beef and dairy. Um, but one final consideration here is I think it's possible that the uh, long-run effects of this work like dominate. And this would be the case if uh, you know, we needed society to get rid of speciesism in order to, to tackle uh, wild animal suffering or other problems in the long run. And so that effect might dominate. And that's an important consideration in any sort of model that we develop around this problem. So some final thoughts. I think you know, the logic of the larder doesn't hold, primarily because uh, the, the welfare of, of, chicken, of broiler chickens and layer hens uh, is really, really poor. Um, and research into quantifying uh, farm animal suffering and wild animal suffering is still really early, but it's really critical that we get this research right. And quantifying farm animal welfare is a really important task that is going to allow us to estimate uh, the impacts of, uh, of meat reduction and other, other programs. Um, and then lastly, you know, chicken and fish products have the worst direct effects at, and, as well as the worst wild, uh, wild animal suffering effects. And so the focusing on these products is likely to yield the greatest impact. So thanks so much. <laughs>